Eddie Guerrero, Timbo, Paul Timbo, Timbo, Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Anybody looking for an Eddie Guerrero? Uh, part one, part one, uh, uh, part two, part two. Eddie Guerrero, they take a part two, part two, Eddie Guerrero. We're talking about WCW, WCW solely on part two, part one. Part one is gonna be all about the family. Oh, we're gonna do part three, 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 part three. Patreon, Patreon, Patreon. Timbo, Paul, Timbo, Paul, Timbo, Eddie Guerrero. Part three, part three, part four, part four, part four, part four, part four. Yeah, yeah, I got it. All right, I got it. Part four, part four. Eddie Guerrero. Gonna cover the whole run, everything from beginning to end, all the way. Are we gonna do part? Five. No, please. We got to finish in four. Oh, we got all right. So, sell to the little lady over there <laughs> with the nice puppy dog. Part four, Eddie Guerrero. Oh, thanks, Spencer, for making a cameo. She's not really here, but we just created her in the world. <laughs> yes, this is uncharted territory. We are back for part four of Eddie Guerrero. I'm Nick Alexander, joined as always by Micah Loving. You know, the one thing that, I, I, this could probably be a final thoughts, but fuck it, it's too joyous. The thing that I found that I really ad- identified with Eddie with is that he needed the TV on to fall asleep too. And I haven't fallen asleep <laughs> without a TV on in probably 15 to 20 years. So Eddie, right there with you, man. Over in the Manning Cave, he's starting to feel like he's a camp god. Camp god. Everybody look at his tent. Well, never mind. Tent rod. That sounds like your penis. Uh, It's Jake Manning. No, it doesn't. I mean, that's my first uh, pickup line to every woman that I go on Tinder dates with. I'm going to check out my tent rod. (laughs) And my pint-sized all-star witch. (laughs) Last time I checked, I'm only two units behind the Kenny Omega signed AEW figure. Oh, nice. Only difference is my pint size all star is fifteen dollars and the Kenny Omega signed figure is now a hundred dollars. It was eighty, so the revenue is much larger for that signed Kenny Omega figure than my pint size all star. But as far as like sheer units, I'm just two behind the cleaner himself. Now you can do the whole thing, like in the movie The Wrestler, when you eventually fall in love with uh, one of Godfather's employees and oh. find out she has a kid, you can be like, look, there's a little mini wrestler guy. <laughs> <laughs> Marissa Tomei. That's right, baby. Was not one of Godfather's employees. She was a performance artist. That's, okay? that's, 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 that's it. it. <laughs> that's it. She was she was an independent contractor. She was signing 1099s. Yep. A true a true independent contractor. Nobody telling her what to do. No, she was solely a true independent contractor. When we last left off, we had a motivated, recovering Eddie Guerrero set to make his WWE comeback. Kind of a sidebar here. Not only was Eddie motivated to prove himself again in the wrestling world, Eddie focused on being a better dad. He even patched things up eventually with Vicky. The two got back together. They renewed their vows. So, you know, 2002 is going to be as good as 2001 was bad for Eddie. And we kind of touched on it at the end of part three, but Eddie's indie dates kind of, they back and forth with some of his WWE appearances and uh, raw, even raw appearances, not just house show stuff. And it just, I, I guess the, the circumstances were just special enough that Vince would allow this, Jake. Because, I mean, usually Vince is like, you know, you're mine, you're mine. You say that. But Eddie had commitments prior to gotcha. coming back. And if one thing Vince will do, he's like, hey, don't screw over another promoter. Because... If you screw over this promoter, what are you going to do to me? Right, right. Yeah. Much like in the same sense that when I work at High Spots, we have a lot of new employees. We have Josh Cummings, and we have Chelsea Cashin, and they don't know how to act around me yet. 
So when I go to eat my lunch, which is very rare because I rarely ever eat, they'll walk into my office and be like, oh, you're eating. I'll leave you alone. And I'll be like, no, 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 no. Interrupt me while I'm eating. Because if you interrupt me while I'm eating, I'm then allowed to interrupt you while you're eating. <laughs> and I, and I, I'm not going to wait for you to get done eating before I ask my question. So if you're going to do that to me, I'm going to do that to you. So just to <laughs> let you know, that's kind of, that's how Vince McMahon works. If you can do it to this guy, you'll do it to anybody. So live by that, that, that code and by that rule. Although I did say in the office the other day that eating is a luxury, not a necessity. Wow. Uh, just to show you the level of crazy wow. that I am to uh -huh. deal with. I have a feeling if they do a 30 for 30 documentary on me at high spots, they're going to be like, man, the only emotion I ever saw out of him was anger and frustration. <laughs> That's one of the trippiest things from knowing you from stand up comedy. You know, a pretty jolly guy. You're, uh, you're telling some jokes, real personable. I remember showing up in Wrestling World with you, and it's like Jake just rolls with one rule and one rule only fear. <laughs> like, everyone, all the students were like, uh, Mr. Man Scout, Jake, sir, yes, um, oh, I'll figure it out. <laughs> right, you will. Goddamn right. <laughs> I mean, listen, a, a good head coach knows that, you know, you can't treat everybody equally, but you got to treat everybody fairly. And all those students fucking deserved it. Eddie returned to the WWF April 1st, 2002 on Monday Night Raw. RVD had just defended his Intercontinental title against Booker T, winning with his fake-ass frog splash. Yeah. Rob was on the turnbuckle celebrating, clearly too stoned to notice his surroundings, so Eddie sneaks in there out of nowhere, power bombs the fuck out of him, then shows this fucking jabroni, makes him humble with the frog splash. That's right. Rob's doing about a, I don't know, two and three quarters. Eddie's doing the real five star. That's right. And also, too, th speaking of five stars, that five star mullet, like 2002, oh, Eddie fucking mullet. Like, that's how you like. I, I want to believe that, you know, all the ups and downs through Eddie's career that when WWE was looking at it, I'm like, Ugh, Eddie looks really messed up. I'm like, oh, how can you tell? Look at that goddamn mullet. Yeah. <laughs> that mullet looks awful. That mullet looks horrible. And then all of a sudden, like, Eddie just didn't send any videotape of him wrestling. He's just like, hey, this is what the mullet looks like now. He's back! Look at this! Look at, look at the strength of this goddamn mullet right now! Get this man on television right now! That's a healthy mullet. That's a healthy man. Eddie's mullet is the equivalent to seeing my room. And it's like, oh, is it clean? Oh, he's doing all right. Oh, is it disheveled and looking like shit? Oh, he's not doing good at all. So this is uh, Eddie's big comeback feud, and they'd roll into 2002's Backlash. And, I mean, we, again, say it every single Eddie match. How great is this? It's, it's, it's very good. It's, uh, it's probably one of the, uh, the sunset bomb in this match. I really think Rob died. And it shows how much the fans appreciated and wanted Eddie back. When Eddie hits his frog splash for the end of this match, fucking cameras go off like it's a WrestleMania moment. It's amazing. Yeah. After winning the Intercontinental title, he would retain against Rob at Insurrection and Judgment Day, finally dropping it to him May 27th on an episode of Raw in a ladder match. One of the most endearing moments of everything I watched on Eddie is the spot where Eddie does his uh, conhilo or his swanton type uh, move, but he does it instead of propelling himself using the ropes onto his opponent on the mat, he leaps over a fucking ladder and lands on Rob. And when I say lands on Rob, all the impact just smashes down onto poor Van Dam. And the endearing moment that I'm mentioning 
is Eddie, fuck kayfabe, fuck all that. Eddie immediately, he just kind of crawls over and blatantly in front of everybody checks on Rob to make sure that he's not dead because he, the, the impact is fucking brutal. And I love this is the era of Raw where Vince gets everything he's ever fucking wanted out of just life. He's got a <laughs> fucking ladder match on Raw. Yeah, right. Ladder match. I mean, this is when Kurt Angle is doing moonsaults off the top of the cage. Now, of course, they're like, oh, you can't do that anymore. Wink, wink, nod, nod. Afterwards, you're getting a push because of this. Um, <laughs> and that doesn't send a message to the fucking locker room. And especially when somebody almost dies, like, well, he's an independent contractor. He had the option to do that, even though wink, wink, nod, nod, big push after this. This is when Vince can truly treat these guys like the circus animals that he wants to treat them like because there is no <laughs> other competitors there's an abundance of guys that have already been on tv if one of these guys get hurt i can just pull another guy up no problem we're like now he's got more wrestlers than ever that are talented they all want to go kill themselves because wink wink nod nod you get a push even though do, do, do that again he can't because everybody's gonna be like oh they shouldn't do this we all with the doctors this like and the, and the fans and the twitter army is going to pile on you if you let somebody go out and finish a match they want to finish because they got knocked Luffy after falling off a scaffold and missing a table. Wink, wink, nod, nod, Matt Hardy. Um, <laughs> and people are going to get mad about it even though the attitude error, nobody would think fucking twice about it. But yeah, this is like Vince McMahon's fucking dream. I have no other competitors. I have all <laughs> these right. wrestlers that are handy that I can just destroy on <laughs> Raw. I don't have to like save their destruction for pay-per-view. I can give it away so that way I can sell to Coca-Cola or in this era, uh, JVC Kaboom Box and Lugs. <laughs> like I can get that Lugs money if Eddie Guerrero would just murder himself in a ladder match on Raw. And wink, wink, nod, nod, you're going to get a push if you do something crazy. But don't do that again. Following the RVD feud, we would get, well, we would almost get one of the coolest feuds fucking ever when Stone Cold Steve Austin decided to work with Eddie Guerrero. And uh, they did do some house shows together, but before they could move this epicness onto TV, uh, Austin took his whittle ball and went home. Bless his tender heart. Shots fired. Fucking fired. Do I need to fucking pull the Stone Cold Steve Austin picture off my fucking wall <laughs> and put it in front of my fucking camera? <laughs> I've never made fun of Stone Cold before. I feel disgusting right now. I don't you know. You should. Now, granted, <laughs> I, I got a little dig in as well recently, and I do feel bad for it, but I, I have held this off. There, there was an item on a recent virtual gimmick table because we did a show about love. <laughs> what? Because we, we, we did a show because we had Tessa Blanchard oh, okay. and Daga in mere days after their wedding. So... Uh, we did a show about love, and sometimes love doesn't work out. So I did a Terry Reynolds New Jack combo. Wow, uh, <laughs> they're not together. And then anymore. I, well, I mean, only in legal documents they are <laughs> together forever. Mostly depositions. Uh, so I have held off on doing this combo. It it was rattling around in my sick comedian mind, and I did an ex wives club where I had wow. a signed Jeannie Clark Lady Blossom book. A Deborah autograph oh. with a Stone Cold Steve Austin DVD, oh. and I called it. And I called it the Ex Wives Club combo. Oh. Uh, and it's some of my best work on the virtual gimmick table, but my also worst work for somebody who is somebody I love and a dear. But don't worry, Steve. I turned it around on myself. 
We did promo combos with Chris Statlander and Caleb Conley. We did promo combos with Britt Baker and Adam Cole. We also did a Jake Manning promo combo. And like I said, sometimes love doesn't work out. Yeah. So I sold a promo combo with me and Soldier Bowl oh. for $20 oh. <laughs> and kept most of the money. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so we're going to make a joke about make a joke about Stone Cold. I'm going to tell it on myself because in the words of Brickhouse Brown, one of our classic episodes, if I'm going to tell it on somebody else, I'm going to tell it on myself. I don't understand why two comedians are apologizing. You roast the ones you love. So what, what the fuck? That's true. But I do want to point out, to mention the Stone Cold Guerrero little feud that is teased, check out the 520-2002 Raw. It's four separate segments told over the entire episode. I can't recommend this shit enough. Eddie and Stone Cold and Deborah go into this little dive bar, hanging out, and then all of a sudden, they get a beer and a teddy bear bought for them. And they're like, who the hell bought this for me? They look over, Mr. Smiling Cheese and Eddie Guerrero. Later, Stone Cold tries to go up on stage and sing. Eddie gets in his face. They have a little moment, little stare down. Uh, it turns into Stone Cold singing, pissing off Eddie. Eddie eventually takes a beer bottle and smashes it up the back of old Stone Cold's head. It's a great little four-act story. Can't recommend it enough. Please watch it. What could have been those two dudes in like a six-month feud would have been something special. But sadly, Stone Cold and his ball. Well, and here's the thing is it's it's frustrating because Stone Cold was just burnt out. He needed some time off. He couldn't do the thing that Eddie was doing when he worked with China. But at the same time, they're different places in the career. Eddie was new to the company, so he was trying to prove his value and his worth. Where like Stone Cold's looking at it like, why am I not in the main event picture? And probably sees it as like, oh, well, here's I'm going to be in this situation and Eddie's going to benefit from this more than I will. And something gets Eddie, but Stone Cold's trying to look out for Stone Cold. And you could you could like think that that Stone Cold have an ego. Well, listen, Stone Cold when you don't get to be the top guy without having top guy mentality inside of you and the idea of like what's going on with me? I need to be in the top main event picture and like being pushed out of it and like pushed aside and there's other people coming up and you obviously want to bring people in and and move people up, but like at the same time too like He's like, I want to have good matches, but the people at the top right now, you're not going to have good matches because you got Hogan up there and a multitude of guys that are they're at that top level right now that, that are they're fighting for that spot that are big attractions that you're not going to get that five-star match with. So, I don't know. I, I wish we would have got a Steve Austin, a, a more clear head Steve Austin or a Steve Austin that was it just in a better place? Because I feel like the world's a little bit less than without an Eddie Guerrero-Steve Austin feud. Also, too, if it would have been a situation if it was a few months earlier, if Eddie's comeback would have happened and he would have got a little bit more traction, Steve would have been like, oh, here's somebody I can grow with. It just It's timing. It's it's it's, it's just tough. Like, it just it, it sucks. We didn't get the, the full-on feud, more stuff on television with defined characters doing their own thing and seeing Eddie interact with a Stone Cold Steve Austin, who I think even at this time still has a lot of juice, still has a lot of, lot of things to give, especially as far as vignettes and promos and storylines and, and everything outside the ropes, even though physically he's just utterly destroyed. The crazy thing, though, just reading everything, I mean, who knows what the real story was, but I read from multiple things that Stone Cold actually requested to work with Eddie. Yeah. And he, he actually, he saw 
the spark in him and knew he could bring something out of him. And then Vince wanted him to job clean and with no story to Brock. And that's when he was like, all right, fuck this shit. But who knows? Steve's a fucking good wrestler and he respects good wrestling. So he's watching Eddie every right. other night, you know, go through the curtain and do what he does. So he's probably got to be like, God damn, I'd love to work with him. Yeah. You know, it'd be a fucking honor. Seeing that charisma and everything in him. Yep. The story, that, the, especially with the emotion that Eddie's able to pull out of people, yep. the beer guzzling, stone cold, <laughs> taking on the recovering straight and narrow yeah, Eddie. Damn, I mean, that oh, could have been like emotional as fuck on oh, top Vince of loves that shit yeah he's like oh you're a drunk <laughs> you're fighting alcoholism let's get a guy who drinks beer all the time and have him pour a beer on you ha <laughs> ha god that's funny <laughs> you're gonna call your sponsor afterwards like oh, i'm already relapsed <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I love that shit. The drama outside. The high schoolness of it. Oh, it just makes me want to jerk off at the fucking top of a building just like Homeland right at the end of season two of the boys. Spoiler alert. That's what he's fucking doing. But it's not big of a spoiler alert because you know the fucking character. <laughs> P.S. What's a burrito? So as a backup plan, Eddie would uh, team back with the also returning Pegasus kid to feud with Ric Flair. I guess Ed the Strangler Lewis was booked that weekend. Oh. Eddie would face Flair at the King of the Ring, and man, Ric Flair is like Hulk Hogan hot dog tan in this match. It is insane. <laughs> the one note I had, I just like, the match had an old school match feel strictly because Eddie is selling Ric Flair's chops like they're shotgun blasts. Really not fucking happy with the man right now. <laughs> uh, nobody in my office is. I will have more stories about Ric Flair, I am sure. Because <laughs> I'm going to go see that man in mere days from now. Oh, and it is not under the best conditions. I don't think I've shared all my Ric Flair stories. I've been saving it for the, the eventual uh, Tembo Pod episode uh, <laughs> that we do in Ric Flair that will miraculously only go about 45 minutes, and it's just me going on a fucking rant. And then we just, <laughs> just say something like, yeah, he won Whoa! the belt 16 times. <laughs> and we move on, because <laughs> I won't want to talk about him for much longer than that. <laughs> a lot of fuckery in this match. Uh, there's a Pegasus run-in, a Bubba Ray Dudley run-in on Eddie, but uh, Flair ends up getting the win. Then just kind of a weird, quick blip on the radar on July 22nd, 02, Eddie faced the fucking rock in the main event of yes. Raw. To anybody who hasn't seen this, you obviously have to watch uh, the rock and Eddie's match because Eddie has one of the best counters to the rock bottom ever where he does an arm drag pin reversal and the near falls fucking magic. You got to go back earlier in the Raw and it's the promo battle that Eddie and the rock have. It's fucking incredible eddie at one point goes on this rant about how his daughter has a poster of the rock up in her room and how eddie had a breakdown and ripped the poster off her wall and he's absolutely losing his fucking mind like it's it's it would peak out every fucking mic eddie is just like full-blown nuts and then of course the rock only comes back with now tell me eddie are you cheech or are you chong but it just, it's so heated. It's probably a seven to 10 minute promo battle back and forth. But then building that up into the match, it's, it's that special raw atmosphere that was back then that was just so electric. And man, it is, ah, is good. In August of 2002, Eddie would get moved over to the SmackDown brand after the brand split. And Eddie's first big feud over there would be with Edge. 
Edge's music again. Play it over this. American males, American males, American males, American males. <laughs> <laughs> or we can do Randy Orton's music now. That'd be good. <laughs> Word life. I do this thing when I pull orders for auctions just to remind myself. And sometimes, as you guys know, if you're grabbing something and you're like, you have a list or you're thinking something in your head, you forget. Like, oh, fuck, what the fuck am I supposed to get? Because you're just getting pulled in multiple different directions. So sometimes, as a way to remember the actual autographed picture that I'm trying to grab, I'll do an impersonation as I'm walking to the filing cabinet or I'll sing their entrance song. So, like, since we have all these fucking Edge promos in 8x10s, <laughs> I've, been, I've been going, It's made And then I, as soon as I find the one I want, I pull it out and I go, I want Which, if I haven't, if I haven't said the story enough on here, still to this day, the day that I took acid was the same day that Kobe Bryant died and Edge came back. Boy, don't ever fucking do that. Oh, that's <laughs> that's a lot, that is a lot to process while coming down after an acid trip, guys. And you didn't believe just, both these things happened till two weeks later. I believe both of them. Oh. I just thought that I created this oh, in my yeah, fucking that makes mind. Sense. That makes sense. Don't, don't ever fucking do that. If you're gonna take acid, don't check anything for at least three days <laughs> so the next time that i i take uh, shrooms or acid or anything of this sort i i i am reckoning with the fact that the worst thing in the world and the best thing is going <laughs> to happen very soon eddie would split wins with edge at SummerSlam and unforgiven with edge taking the rubber match in a no dq fight on smackdown and eddie said this was probably the most brutal match of his entire career it's like a big pay-per-view match atmosphere. The energy, the crowd is reacting to every little thing. Eddie's bouncing around the ring, yelling at Edge, taunting the crowd, being a dick. I mean, it's so fucking hot. And yeah, like Nick said, the spots are brutal as shit. You wince and you squirry for the people before you because you want to see some cool shit, but you also don't want them to get permanently injured. And this match makes you doubt if you're going to get a safe wrestler at the end. But they come out because they're professionals. Eddie gets a standing ovation at the end, even though he does lose. But it shows all the respect and just all the love. And then we get to one of those aha career moments when Eddie once again joined up with Nephew Chavo forming the Los Guerreros, armed with a slogan clearly stolen from the U.S. Senate, we lie, we cheat, we steal, and these vignettes, they oh, rival God. Mr. Perfect's, like, they're <laughs> yeah. so fucking good. My favorite is easily the valet vignette, because you got Eddie and uh, Chavo convincing this nerdy valet to give him their jacket. I think this is like the fifth vignette, so it's a ways into it. So they're the valets, and they're about to take this one guy's nice-looking car. And the dude totally breaks the fourth wall and goes meta. And he's like, hey, aren't you those two Mexican wrestlers on TV? It's so fucking good, because you don't see it coming. It just And then the golfing one, and I don't know. Nick, do you have a favorite? The one where they robbed the lady with the baby, and Chavo <laughs> yeah. stole the fucking baby bottle? That was so goddamn funny. <laughs> I'm trying to remember the name of the DVD. It might be on the wall over here, my my bookshelf that I have. But it's the Eddie Guerrero Tudis Seth WWE released. I think it's like stealing life and cheating death. I got them both. It's some, yeah, there you go. <laughs> the one the one that's in your left hand. Cheating death, stealing life. There you go. Yep. Vice versa. I got cheating death, stealing life. They do a super cut of all the vignettes that is incredible. Like all of the highlights. 
I highly recommend finding that the DVD somewhere on eBay or Amazon or VizArt Video if Michael is ever willing to fucking donate anything to that place where he works. Um, unlike Jake Manning, who donates so much of his time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and he still has a $30 credit on his account. Exactly. Uh, so seek that out because it's just the super cut of all those vignettes and like i think the extras on that are of pretty much all of the vignettes and they're all right there they're all incredible they're all fantastic and just eddie just leaning into to all of it and committing to it and, and the fun of it and getting to wrestle chavo and with chavo which now at this moment in time chavo is like as i've said before like he's incredible he's finally got that He's got the experience underneath of him now, where when they were together in the WCW era, he's clearly like, you can still kind of see the greenness on Chavo, where now Chavo is much more polished. And definitely as a team, it's not so, the deficiency in talent isn't as, as clear, even though Eddie is just off the charts good. Chavo is just as close as far as like timing preciseness on, on everything this is like the perfect moment in time to put those guys together and put them on television and comedically chavo always fucking commits and eddie is all the way in and it's fantastic great time i i can't second jake enough just with the outtakes of the vignettes will make you fall in love with eddie and chavo just seeing them just fuck around and trying to make it work it's it's so beautiful Los Guerreros would feud with a newly formed tag team of Kurt Angle and Briss Senwa, <laughs> who had just won a tournament for the tag team titles. And Pegasus and Kurt weren't exactly pals and would, you know, it's one of those tag teams. They would end up losing their titles to Rey Mysterio and Edge. And all three of those teams would wind up at Survivor Series 02 in a triple threat. Hell of a match. Um, yes. It's so much fun. When, I, when it was on the DVD, and I was like, why is this on here? And I was like, oh, it's a good match. And then I was like, oh, duh, it's because they won the titles. That's why it's fucking on here. After years of growing up and pretending to be the tag team champions, those, they fucking did it in real life. That must be so trippy. If you want to watch the best angle wow. Eddie Chavo match, I got to say the SmackDown 10-17-2002. It's better than the Rebellion match. Watch that SmackDown match nonstop. Crowd is hot. It's a must-watch. They'd hold on to the belts till February 6, 03, when they dropped them on SmackDown to Team Angle, Chad Gable, and Jason Jordan. I mean, Charlie Haas and Shelton Benjamin. And those two teams would get us all the way up to WrestleMania 19. Team Angle would add Rhino, and the Los Guerreros would add Pegasus Kid. And this is about the time when they were feeding with Team Angle. There's a clip that ends up on social media at least once every couple months, and it is a beautiful, perfect example. And I think it's a SmackDown match of the Los Guerreros versus Haas and Benjamin. And there's a hot tag where Eddie Guerrero is just in the center of the ring, patient, but deliberate, quick on like letting the heels feed the comeback. Like his ring positioning is insane. Perfect timing, not rushing. And nev and not looking out of place at any moment in time. There, it's it's a clip that I guarantee anybody that's done on Twitter, you've seen seen it. It's just Eddie Guerrero doing a hot tag, 
Haas and Benjamin on like a SmackDown match, and people will always put in there. I think Ace Steel even was one of the people that were just like, hey, check this out just for ring positioning alone. It's incredible. It's flawless. And then it like ends with Eddie grabbing the knuckle lock, jumping off, going into like a jumping head scissors arm drag deal yeah. on both Haas and Benjamin. It's fucking insane. It's incredible. It's so properly timed and executed absolutely perfectly and it makes it look effortless but there is probably one percent that can do something like that that fucking effortlessly and you think like oh just that's how you do it i'm gonna go out and replicate that no it takes a very special individual but we should all strive to be like that 60 second clip of eddie guerrero just doing something that he did every single fucking week and then Los Guerreros would hit a bit of a bump in the road when Chavo tore his bicep, which uh, made Eddie have to call on a new tag partner, Tajiri. And they would end up winning the tag titles in a ladder match against Team Angle at 03's Judgment Day in Charlotte, North Carolina. They'd hold on to the titles until July, dropping the belts again to Team Angle on SmackDown with Benjamin kicking Tajiri to the outside, landing on Eddie's low rider, leaving oh. Eddie to get double teamed. And uh, with his title gone, his car damaged, an enraged Eddie would turn on Tajiri, slamming him through the windshield and turning Hill once again. Now Hill, Eddie entered a tournament for the U.S. title, getting by Ultimo Dragon and Bill Gunn in the process, meeting Pegasus Kid in the finals of O3's Vengeance, which is a good match. If I had to rank, this Vengeance match is pretty fucking good. Easily in their top three. Just with the drama, the crowd, the story, and then on top of how good they always are working together. It, it could be their best match. I'd probably go with 6-11-96, but... I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful match. It's its a—it's kind of a WWE shit show with ref bumps and multiple refs and run-ins, but it's all expertly executed by these dudes because they know how to do every different aspect of wrestling. Not just mat wrestling, but they can do WWE clusterfuck stuff. It's, it's just a joy to watch. Eddie would then hold on to his title at 03 SummerSlam, beating Rhino, Pegasus, and Tajiri in a fatal four-way. But the big takeaway from this match is that Eddie is supposed to be the hill, and you can see his overness is just <laughs> growing by the day. I mean, the, the whole finish is Eddie ends up putting the U.S. belt on him to protect himself when when rhino goes to hit him with the gore and then obviously that injures rhino's shoulder and then eddie hits the frog splash so i mean you got really smart heel tactics it's hard to not love him without much of a choice eddie would again turn into a good guy and would feud with a young man with a dr seuss gimmick john cena on september 11th 03 smackdown they had a latino heat parking lot brawl before you watch the parking lot brawl, go back and watch the 828 SmackDown. It is the beginning of their feud. It is in El Paso, Texas. It is Eddie getting mad love, building up the hate with Cena. Cena's stealing one of his car, one of his lowrider tires. And Eddie actually puts Cena over in El Paso, which is just another reason how Eddie would work for the storyline and the feud rather than to make himself look good. He would still do it in his own hometown just because it benefited the storyline. Well, I'm sure knowing Vince McMahon, he was like, well, we're on El Paso, Eddie. You know you're going to lose. And he's like, yeah, I'm cool. I want to lose. 
<laughs> and it's just like, he's like, what? What do you mean? This shit's supposed to upset you. Much like every time we're in Richmond, we must humiliate Mickey James. It's like, wait a minute. I'm supposed to tear you down and call you fat on national television while we're in your hometown. We need to make you cry in your hometown. What do you mean you're okay with doing the job here? Yeah. He's a young kid. I want to work with him. I want to, I want to put him over, Vince. I just don't fucking understand you, Eddie. <laughs> I don't fucking get you at all. I can't upset you because you don't have an ego and you're fantastic. I, <laughs> I want to make you so mad that you break inside. <laughs> and then once you break inside, I own you. But somehow your soul is too strong. Every time I go to grab it, it burns me. <laughs> Maybe because it's so pure from the light. Ah! Satan trying to get into the holy water. It's like, ah, I can't take it. That's the thing with this feud. This is, you know, Cena's getting a little momentum right now. This is this is an example of Cena needing Eddie and Eddie needing a good opponent, but also to Eddie saying like, hey, this kid might have potential. Let's go fucking find out. Let's see. I mean, this is regarded as the thing that was maybe make or, make or break, but definitely the thing that was going to make him, but definitely the thing that's going to add legitimacy to John Cena is him feuding with Eddie Guerrero and everything that happened here. If this feud doesn't go correctly, if this feud doesn't go right, if John Cena doesn't get this right, he doesn't ascend to the level he is. It's like, you know, all right, John, here's a feud with Eddie Guerrero. If you can keep up, you could be a guy that makes money in this company. But if you don't, and you can't make it work with Eddie fucking Guerrero, <laughs> yeah. well, you might as well just go back to Ohio Valley, and then we'll see you soon, kid. John talked about this match specifically uh, in an interview about how much he learned from Eddie, not just going out there and having a wrestling match, but how to use like your entire environment. And in this fucking match, Eddie... Oh. You know, there's a circle of cars. Eddie burns him with a cigarette lighter, chokes him with a seatbelt, sprays him with windshield wiper fluid, (laughs) puts him in the trunk, and then uh, Chavo ends up running out and hits Cena with a hubcap, which uh, lets Eddie hit a frog splash off of the top of a van onto a hood of a car. It's It's amazing. Nick nailed some of them, and I even had to cut some out of my notes. But, like, as far as, like, gimmick matches goes and taking advantage of your surroundings, I legitimately probably had 12 spots written down in my notes. Nick left out that at one point Cena cranks up a lawnmower and attempts to run over <laughs> Eddie. I mean, Eddie's getting uh, hip tossed into windshields and smashing them shoot style. I mean, it's they literally take advantage of this match. I had way too many exclamation points at the end of my notes because for what these type of matches should be, it went way beyond. And I was generally fucking impressed. It's It's so much fun. In Eddie's book, he was talking about throwing people through the windshield, and he was like, you know, you'd think we'd have some special glass or something. He's like, no, <laughs> we just really threw people through windshields. Yeah. Well, they even do that today. <laughs> like, they they have. I've heard stories of Jeez. them being like, hey, let's get some like special glass to put it in this particular car. But majority of the time, WWE and wrestling, they're like, no, nah, we're going to have you go through a car tonight. <laughs> we, decide that, yeah. we decided that at 1 o'clock in the afternoon at, at a taping, and we're just going to find a random car, and you're just going to go through it, and we're not going to do anything to the fucking windshield. <laughs> What's so fucking ever? We didn't have time to because we came up with it at 1 o'clock in the fucking <laughs> afternoon. We don't have time to get a stunt car, but if they know that they got time, they'll do it. But they don't usually. They just fucking decided that after fucking noon. We were doing like a private signing with Drew McIntyre, and he was talking about a recent match. I think the ambulance match he just had with Randy Orton, and they were going to go through like a windshield. And Drew's just like, oh, well, 
I've known about this bump for a few days. They're going to do something special to the fucking like glass and all that stuff. So it's like, great. And then they go over the match and like, and then you're going to go through the, the window as we discuss. And Drew's like, great. They were going through this with the plan of this. Sure. Fantastic. And never once did he ask like, Hmm, I wonder if they're going to have special glass. <laughs> he just assumed surely they're going to have special glass. Cause they've known about this for months. It's not like they came up with this at one o'clock in the fucking afternoon. He's like, okay, well, they're they're gonna have special glass, and I'm gonna go through this this windshield of this uh, ambulance or car or whatever. And he goes through, and as he's going through, he's like, huh, this is a little bit harder to do than expected. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, fucks himself up, and as he falls out, he's like, oh, that was a real fucking windshield. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Who would have expected? Not me, because I was going balls in, expecting for glass to easily break. Uh, it did not. It's like WWE is the living embodiment of the Simpsons radioactive man Fallout Boy episode where Milhouse lays down and he's like, these aren't real x-rays, are they? Good <laughs> question. We'll get back to you on that. With Chavo back, Eddie would become a double champion the next week on SmackDown. Los Guerreros defeated the world's greatest tag team, Shelton Benjamin and Charlie Haas, for the tag team titles. Then Eddie would get into a bit of a feud with the big show going into 03's No Mercy. And boy, all those poop jokes were such good shit. Well, the whole thing of him getting a doctored burrito that causes <laughs> yeah. him to poop. This is, this is where the fucking legendary story about a writer suggesting this. Because they know Vince McMahon loves poop jokes. Yeah. Oh, ah. But where the hang up is is this writer was like, yeah, and they're going to give Big Show a burrito, and it's going to cause him to poop a lot. And obviously, writer did a fantastic job. The punchline is poop. Vince McMahon's going to love <laughs> the it. The punchline is poop. So the writer laid it out, and it was like, all right, well, what, this is the point where Vince tells me I should win an Emmy. But Vince has this confused look on his face, and the writer's panicking like, wait a minute. I did everything right. I ended with poop. <laughs> I, should, I should be getting a, a nice job, pal, right now. But you know what I'm getting is this confused look. And Vince looked right at this writer and goes, what's a burrito? <laughs> Amazing. At, at, the, at this moment in time, Vince is like maybe, what, 60 years old? <laughs> I don't know, 50? I, no fucking idea what a burrito is. And, I, you know, I, I understand it. Like, if he's just some rich boy, I, whatever you could say. But no, that motherfucker lived in fucking North Carolina. <laughs> I don't fucking buy that. And then also, too, like... You've been everywhere, Vince. You've fucking been, like, you've lived this, and you have no idea what a fucking burrito, what, I, I have questions. <laughs> I know, I know what ceviche is. I don't like eating it, but I at least know what it is. But a burrito. <laughs> a burrito. Like, a burrito comes with breakfast. It can come with lunch. It can come with dinner. You can't run away from a burrito, my friends. <laughs> there are chain restaurants solely based around the success of a fucking burrito. And yet this motherfucker doesn't know what a fucking burrito is. It, it's only puzzling if you haven't read Vince McMahon's Playboy interview. Like, that's <laughs> the only way that all of this makes sense, that this is a crazy fucking billionaire who may or may not be a vampire and or a cyborg. I don't know. Go back and watch Eddie and Big Show's match at No Mercy, because you're like, oh, Big Show match. But the story that they tell, the way that Eddie won't die, the way that he repeatedly tries to kill Big Show with all... He hits him with brass knucks and he won't go down. Title belt, frog splash. It just, it shows Eddie gets a really good match out of the Big Show. And it's kind of like we talked about, Jake mentioned with Test. 
like Eddie could get a good, exciting talk about it at the water cooler match out of anybody. But the thing is, though, he's playing to who fucking Big Show is. Mm-hmm. He's, he's he's to the umph to fuck. How does me Eddie Guerrero fight the Big Show? And that's essentially what you have to ask yourself. And you got to be able to zoom out and see this is how people see me. This is how people see him or how people want to see him. Uh, what always ends up happening with Big Show is you put him in the ring with Kane and then it's just dudes fucking lumbering around. It's like, who gives a fuck? Or if you're a smaller guy wrestling the Big Show, you do the tip of a lockup, push down, uh, duck underneath, or he goes for a lockup, kick him in the legs. Oh, he's trying to chop him down. And like the same fucking boring bullshit of you're bigger than me and smaller than me. The idea of... How do eyes define character? How would I do the things necessary? Well, fucking Eddie would cheat every fucking which way possible. You know, like the man's got, how would I chop down the big show? Well, I'd fucking try and treat him like a tree or I'd read my book. I would do all kinds of things. He'd rip my book in half. I would then go find a bigger man scout book that would look like a telephone book. <laughs> rip that in half. And like I would, I would go to, I would go to the umpth degree on everything. And I also just want to point out just this few, it's weird to point out so many things in a Big Show feud, but Big Show on an episode of SmackDown destroys Eddie's glowrider truck with a golf club. He then power bombs Eddie onto the hood, which is covered in broken glass, and then a blood-covered Eddie is choke slammed onto the roof of his own lowrider truck. It's another instance where Eddie just went that extra little level to make the feud all the more special and just dangerous and worthwhile. I feel like you're being real passive-aggressive at the big show right now. (laughs) All right, after losing the show that same week, Los Guerreros lost their tag team titles to the Basham brothers. This would end up in another Eddie Chavo feud, this time with Chavo breaking bad. Uh, He blamed Eddie for the loss, full-blown turned on him on January 8th, SmackDown, busting Eddie open. And this is like a bigger, better, more thought-out version of their WCW feud. I mean, if you want to crap on Pepe, sure. (laughs) I also think this feud did a lot to get Eddie over as this like sympathetic baby face that led to all the things that will come. Totally. Because you you see him like you you identify with him. Anybody who has a, a brother or sister who's just going off on the rails, they have to remain cool to deal with them because they're the more grown up. They're the one that needs to be the mature person. And they need to handle it. But still, sometimes you're going to flip your lid because you just can't deal with their bullshit. On the belt to 04 Royal Rumble, Junior even brought in Chavo Classic to help beat up on Uncle Eddie. And then they have the match at the Rumble. And this is a good sleeper match. Like, I would definitely check this out. Uh, They told a good story. There's emotion. Eddie drives out in the truck version of Guy Fieri. Everything is really good. Everything with Chavo from 2004 till 2006 is a fucking sleeper nobody's talking about how great fucking chavo guerrero was in that era of like 2004 2005 2006 go back and watch the fucking tape go catch a fucking chavo match from that fucking era it's fucking incredible i promise you after quite the battle, Eddie puts Junior away with the frog splash, and just to put a cherry on top, he decks Chavo Sr. before snapping on both of the Chavos. And then later that night, Pegasus Kid won the 04 Royal Rumble, no matter how hard they try to scrub it from existence. 
he would end up heading off to Monday Night Raw to challenge Triple H for his title, leaving the championship on SmackDown with no one to wrestle for it. So SmackDown decided to hold their own little Royal Rumble, which Eddie Guerrero won. And this would, of course, get Eddie into an albeit short feud with Brock Lesnar, part of which he cuts the greatest promo of his career. In my opinion, maybe one of the best 10 promos in wrestling history, like emotion, raising the stakes. It's just it's just a masterclass. I hadn't seen it till like three days ago. And I guess you could call it the addiction promo. But there's a YouTube video that adds a little bit of dramatic music to it. And I usually hate those because usually those guys suck at understanding the moments. American males. But the music really works. And I wept like a little bitch. It's, It's so good because you can see it's totally real. It's like Jake was talking about Vince loves. Let's bring in all his demons and make it real. And in this instance, it amps it up to the 11th degree plus. It's just goosebumps it's tears it's like i want you to win this match so fucking much it is god level it's actually one of my bookmark tweets that i have like somebody put it <laughs> oh, <shit. laughs> I, I i go back to it from time to time um but if you watch it like you'll even see like brock lesnar kind of break yep, character yep. a few times and keep in mind Brock Lesnar don't give a fuck about nobody's death thing <laughs> whatsoever. Like that motherfucker, he he's emotionless. He don't fucking care about shit other than just fucking doing as mental work as possible and going the fuck back home. Like <laughs> and make an exorbitant amount of money while he does it. Which is fine. Yeah. He's earned that right, I guess. But for him to be like, whoa, what the fuck am I watching? And here's this is not a critique on Eddie Guerrero whatsoever. This is a critique of WWE itself and why it is very hard for me to watch the product. This is a fucking gritty, unbelievable, touching, real performance. And we fucking hit entrance music. We had lights. We have fucking weird blue colored ropes. We have a great Titan Tron that is fucking looping the SmackDown logo. We have a giant goddamn fist at the fucking just just over his fucking shoulder while he's fucking doing like the fucking bright lights of it all. It just it's that's what's so unique. It does make it very striking. This is a very real performance in the middle of the Disneyland version of <laughs> professional wrestling. But if you were to take that performance and put it into the now era of like cinematic promos and just put it in a gritty environment, score it and do some of the things that people are doing with online promos now, like let's say let's fucking strip it all away. Let's just fucking strip WWE. Let's gut all of it that it is what it is. And it, this is just simply a match that's going to fucking happen at a fucking arena for the world title. Brock Lesnar, we all know his fucking reputation over the years. And you have Eddie Guerrero, we all know his fucking reputation. And Eddie cuts a promo like this that's in the avenue of now guys cutting cinematic-esque promos on social media. Imagine just putting a different presentation on it with this same exact performance that fucking happened on this extremely polished thing. You put that in and you take the visuals to match the fucking splendor, the genius, the whatever wonderful adjectives you could use to describe what's going on in this promo and this performance. You put that and take the visuals, 
add some music to it and cut it together and have a tone of visuals that match the performance, you'll never find anything better. You might as well just stop fucking cutting promos from the <laughs> moment on. Because it will never be as real, as genuine, as fucking great, as perfect. So that, that that's the thing that, that always is just disturbing about me with that about WWE. Just so, you can see the goddamn fucking people in the background. It's fucking weird. Like, it just, it's, you know, there's somebody in the audience with a big Johnson t shirt just over his fucking shoulder. Like, I don't, like, I just can't. That was me. There's somebody over, and there's somebody on the up row with a fucking black T-shirt and white letters that say "D's nuts" on it. I don't know if I it's like, what the fuck, you know? That's I don't know. That's the weird thing about when I see fucking in-ring promos with WWE. But like, for his performance, it's incredible. It, 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 you'll never get more truer words, and that, and that's the ability of a great performer is for you to forget the surroundings. Like the thing that I thought was beautiful about CM Punk when I would see him in No Limit shows in Iowa would be the fact that he can make a National Guard armory or a Masonic temple feel like WrestleMania. In the same aspect of Eddie Guerrero in this promo, he could take this fucking Mickey Mouse flight show of fucking (laughs) professional wrestling and make it feel like the most intimate environment ever. Either making the surroundings as big as possible or as small as possible will always be the true indicators of a tremendous performer. The moment in the promo when Eddie says, yeah, I am addicted. I'm addicted to the high that this crowd gives me. Like That moment when he, he points to the crowd, they respond. It's one of the most beautiful, just fucking... 100% 100% poignant, perfect moments I've ever seen. It's just like, yes, fucking right, man. I can't even like run that promo in my head and like think about it without almost crying. Like yeah. it's so fucking good. <laughs> it's 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 might sound like we're exaggerating, but it's seriously. I I just think about it and I'm like, damn it, now I'm in a different mood. Yeah. <laughs> and then we get to 2004's No Way Out against seemingly impossible odds the five foot eight 200 pound eddie would take on the six three 280 pound genetic freak brock lesnar and this match again almost like the promo is just perfect and and emotional and amazing and what i realized i really love about matches is at the beginning of this brock is just brock is good at like talking loud enough in a match to kind of cut promos during the match that i, I love when wrestlers are vocal and really scream during selling or talking shit during a match. It really amps up all the drama. And Brock is so good at that in this. At the beginning of it, he's mocking him and making fun of Eddie. And then as it goes, Brock just is bleeding from his nose, pleading, screaming, just die. And you just feel that fucking Eddie heart that will not extinguish until he has that belt. I just, I just love the emotion that both these dudes knew they needed to bring inside of the match not just the moves but within the pacing of it all it's just it's gorgeous it's fucking gorgeous and of course um it took place at the cow palace mm-hmm. in san francisco which legendary matches happen in the cow palace cow palace is very much a integral part of wrestling history there's some very classic matches that took place in the cow palace like pat patterson matches ray stevens Nick Bockwinkle, very much a, a mecca of professional wrestling, a, a kind of a forgotten mecca of professional wrestling, but the Cow Palace is also special to me personally. It's a place where they would have indoor track and field meets 
that my uncle participated in. Oh, he wow. was competing at the highest level. And actually, the first time that he ever beat Randy Matson, who Randy Matson was like a god in shot putting. And my uncle beat him for the first time. It was like the thing that kind of put him on the map. And it was at an indoor track and field meet at the Cow Palace. <laughs> Holy shit. So the Cow Palace, to me, has always been this very sacred place. And I'll never forget there was a convention that was happening at the Cow Palace in like 2006, 2007, I think 2007. And I told Michael, I was like, we need to go. Like somebody reached out about possibly us doing something and being there. And I go, Michael, we need to figure out a way to get there. And we ended, and Michael ended up doing it because I really wanted to do it. But I just wanted to go there because I just wanted to say that I'd been the Cow Palace or been inside of it before. And we brought the ring there. And there's a whole long story about it that it's it was a shit show. Fuck it, whatever. And we were one of the last people. We were one of the la- We were in the first there, and we were one of the last people to leave because we were bringing the ring, as as it always goes. And I remember tearing down the ring, and it got on the trailer, and everything was done. And I think me and Michael were going to fly out the next day. And Michael's like, "Hey, I'm going to make sure that we got everything over by the gimmick table." And I go, "Yeah, yeah sure. Just give me just give me a second. And I stood in the middle of the cow palace. And I just kind of looked around, and I was like the only one in that main area because it was such a shitty convention. That, and also, too, the promoter ran out, didn't pay people, so like everybody had fucking left. It was a fucking shit show. Uh, Michael's out of the big arena area. The ring people are out of Everybody's gone. Like It's like maybe like me, a couple security people, and Michael in the fucking whole building. And I, and I just remember looking around, and you'd think that like I'd, I'd be thinking about my uncle a lot. Because, like I said, of how important it was to my uncle and his career. And then, of course, the wrestling history that was there. But but I was standing alone in the center of the cow palace where they put a wrestling ring. I just looked around and my first thought was like, this is where Eddie Guerrero won the world title. <laughs> yeah. Fuck yeah. Of all the things I could think about, the whole <laughs> we did this whole long trip that was a complete and utter fucking disaster. I'm there just to kind of absorb it because my uncle was there, because there was this wrestling history to say I was in the Cow Palace. But when I finally get that moment to reflect on this particular building, my thought is, holy shit, this is where Eddie beat Brock Lesnar. And the, there's all these little emotional things uh, about that match. Like I remember... In DVD we mentioned before, they show a video clip of, like, I think Eddie calling Vicky afterwards. And, like, I don't know. It's always about the person you love for me. Like, when people are like, why, Jake, why why you bummed out? I'm like, it's probably a fucking girl. Yeah, it's, it's always the fucking joke with me. But, no, it, there's this integral thing about something amazing happened to you in your career. And you want to share it with somebody. Seeing Eddie call Vicky while he's got the world title on his lap, there's just something about that that just makes me think, like, that's that's everything. That's the the everything, right? You have the world title, this huge fucking accomplishment. This one of the biggest companies in the world said you were going to be our world champion. That's sitting in your lap. You achieved it. And you're on the phone with the person you love telling them that you love them. With all the emotion in the world, they're making you cry and break down. I go, that's the fucking pinnacle. That's 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 a moment that you seek out forever, that so few people get to have. And I don't know. That's that's what I think about when I think about Eddie and think about this match and when watching the promo and knowing the end result is that 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 small private moment that got captured on video. That's 
That's the thing I think about. The aspect of this match that really elevated it for me on a rewatch was the booking in the way, because Goldberg was at ringside, and there's a moment where Goldberg comes in and spears Brock, and there's this outstanding near fall. It's it's You really think that's going to be it. And then there's the moment where Eddie gets the belt, and he's going to clock Brock with the belt, because lie, cheat, steal Eddie. If he would have won that way, we would have enjoyed it, and it would have been his gimmick, but I don't think it would have hit as hard if Brock didn't duck out of the way of the belt, pick Eddie up for an F5, Eddie hits the tornado, DDT out of nowhere. The way he whips around is fucking poetry. And then, totally clean, Eddie gets up, slams down with one of the best true five-star frog splashes he's hit, and the way he waves the ref over, it's like he's, 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 he's <laughs> this is going to sound so pretentious, but it's like he's just waving the entire crowd, his career, everything. He's saying, come on, this is it, and that ref on that fucking three count. With the clean pin, Eddie doing it just as him as a wrestler. Not lying, cheating, stealing, but him as the dude who's been building up to this moment the whole time. And he fucking hits that three. And god damn, it is beautiful, man. I don't know if they connected these dots. But to me, having a monster, someone as impossible to beat as Brock Lesnar... And Eddie overcoming that, to me, that was that was such symbolism for his struggles. This giant beast he had to conquer for him to have to go in there and he chipped away at Brock's legs and he and he just couldn't do it and he couldn't do it. And Brock kept hitting him down and shove, you know, you know, screaming, die, die. And fucking Eddie overcame that and won and he he won the title and it's just so much fucking symbolism whether it's like on purpose or accidental it's one of the most beautiful moments of pro wrestling ever and you know it's why they've replayed the fucking clip of him doing the shimmy with the with the flag (laughs) and the belt and it's just like it, it is his real life you know obviously fused with the pro wrestling world but for him to like conquer so much i thought it was just a great metaphor Somebody had a comment on a YouTube clip of, I can't remember if it was the highlights or the best of Eddie or something. Just the YouTube comments on Eddie, you'll cry just reading them how much love is outpouring for Eddie, which just always gets me. But dude has a comment, he's like, imagine being one of those guys in the crowd that that Eddie jumped on. You'll be telling that to your kids (laughs) till the day you fucking die. And I was like, you are so 100% correct. You're pausing that DVD like, look. Look, there's Grandpa with Eddie Guerrero jumping on top of him for his first world title win. We throw around the word magic. I might even say it uh, too many times. But this this fucking moment is fucking magic with every letter capitalized. Now, champion and leader of the SmackDown brand, Eddie's first big title defense would be against Kurt Angle heading into WrestleMania 20. And again, just what a goddamn amazing match. The moment before where Guerrero and Ben wow. in the locker room and it's them talking about how we're going to have our WrestleMania moment. It's one of those moments that is just, you know their history and you know how much that moment means and it's, it's fucking heartbreaking. It's, it's the most joyous, fuck, life is depressing, why does it still go on moment, but it's, it's definitely worth checking out. Well, after I just talked with my new friend Dean Malenko, I haven't dropped that name on, on part four yet. Dean told me that years ago, that like all those guys like kind of made a pact that wherever they go in their career, they stick together and look out for each other. 
Like that was something they decided years ago in Japan. I, like you saw that on screen. That's something that those guys did and they took very seriously. And Dean was a part of that as, as well. Is that like, hey, wherever you guys go, we're going to, we'll go do that together. You know, whatever decision we make, we'll stick together. We'll look out for each other. And that's exactly what this is. And the friendship and the, and the partnership that, you know, Chris and Eddie had. Like I said, when, when Eddie was not at his best, he had somebody drive behind the wheel driving him. And that guy had deep blue fucking eyes. So like, yeah, <laughs> that, 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 that was real. But then also, too, you think about, think about this. You think about Eddie's title run, and he always feel like, ah, it didn't come off as well as we would have hoped. But it's just the brand split. You see how talent got so separated, and the storylines became so hot-shotted. Let's just fucking review. Eddie was in a feud with his tag partner and nephew over a breakup over a tag team, and you had his real-life brother involved as well at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> then he gets into a feud with Brock <laughs> yeah. Lesnar for the World Belt. Now he's in another feud with Kurt Angle, which is now done at WrestleMania, and then he's getting into another feud. Like he's the cycles of three-week feuds as opposed to letting a story breathe and cycle through. Like he could have had three months with each one of these, but we're burning through stuff so fast to do these monthly pay-per-views. I see why we didn't get the long title run of Eddie. We didn't get to see him defend the title time and time and time and time again. Like everything is so fucking hot shotted right now and moving much faster than it needs to be. We should have had months of Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero matches, but we just, oh, must remain It's done. Well, I mean, once it gets to WrestleMania, it can really continue on because it's not a finality because WrestleMania's got finality to it. And then, boom, we're done. Going back, watching the match, and that finish, I marked out like a little bitch. I mean, just the Eddie's acting was like, oh, my ankle's so hurt. And it's, oh, I need to take my boot off so my ankle can, you know, air out or just I can move it around better. And then just the way uh, Kurt pulls his boot off, and he's like, duh? <laughs> and then Eddie rolls him up. And the fact that he, he not only rolls him up after tricking him with the boot, but he hooks his feet around the ring ropes for an extra layer of cheating is a fucking drop-dead, brilliant Albert Einstein wrestling moment from Eddie Guerrero. Following Mania, Eddie would get into an always memorable feud with John Bradshaw Layfield, and their feud really caught fire when JBL caused Eddie's mom to have a heart attack while in the ring. When uh, JBL came out, he attacked Eddie, he put his hands on Eddie's mom, and I just like to think that JBL is such a bully that he thinks a your mama joke is literally murdering her. (laughs) And going back and watching stuff, I'm fairly confident that Trump just stole his entire platform from JBL's <laughs> gimmick at this time. It's fucking spot on. And see, here's the thing. You, you need to create new new characters because the whole brand split, like you really see it here. And, you know, part of the reason the title runs so short is because Eddie's trying to add credibility to JBL because they need more main event players because of the brand split. And that's exactly it right here. And fucking JBL at this time, is there a better fucking wrestling heel that's allowed to get fucking heat? That's the fucking key here. Is allowed to get heat. Say the thing you're not supposed to say because somebody will kick your ass for it. That's that's what pro wrestling's kind of supposed to be. I understand that there are things that are said in some of these promos that should not be ever repeated ever again. I understand and I respect that. But 
Pro wrestling has worked on the on the premise that you have one guy you absolutely fucking hate. And yes, sometimes you, you tap that line and you try to do it respectfully, but sometimes if you're if you're edgy, you cross over that fucking line and you say something indecent and something that does not stand the test of time. I agree. I agree that that's the thing that fucking happens. But man, do you not like this individual? Yeah, man. And so much in fact, we were just having a conversation in the fucking office about JBL. We have this new guy who works for us and he takes things very seriously that happened in professional wrestling, even though he doesn't know who Brett Armstrong is already <laughs> strike number one. Um, so we were talking about JBL doing a private signing or something along the lines, maybe even an appearance on the virtual gimmick table. And this employee was like, absolutely not. JBL is such a fucking Nazi racist. It's documented. And I go, what? You mean when he fucking goose stepped in Germany? Don't you think he's getting fucking heat? Yeah. Like that's a, he doesn't give a fuck about the Nazis. Fuck that. He does not get you. You mean the guy who tagged with fucking Ron Simmons, a, a man who would fucking give the fucking shirt off his back to Ron Simmons, a guy who took Orlando Jordan underneath his wing. And then when Orlando basically came out and said, I'm bisexual, John's like, man, this sounds like an awesome fucking gig. <laughs> like just, that guy's the fucking Nazi. That guy's insensitive. That, I mean, granted, he probably has some political views. I don't fucking agree yeah. with, but as a guy who understands my job is to make fucking people mad, I'm going to say the thing that I don't even fucking believe to help the fucking Babyface, who I'm wrestling, be that much more loved. And the fact that JBL took the title from Eddie and we didn't get this long title run that we were all hoping to get just adds credibility to, to JBL. And the person that was lobbying to make that fucking happen was Eddie Guerrero. Like, fucking bring it. Murder me. Come on. You're going to fucking kick my ass and take my fucking title from me. I'm going to get more sympathy because you took it away from me. The fucking confidence in it all. As someone who does like uh, Jake's buddy there, I think JBL is a piece of shit, and I am officially banned on Twitter from JBL. <laughs> um, I think I called him a Stan Hansen wannabe with some expletives. But I have in my notes, motherfucker gets heat. He does it good. It's molten. It's just, it's the shit where you hate, hate him. And that helps Eddie's uh, baby face shit all the, all the more. I didn't want to give JBL a compliment because I really do think he's a piece of shit. But goddamn, he is a good heel in this feud, man. Have you met the man? I didn't meet Hitler. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, I, I have met JBL twice, and I'm German, so I get an idea of how bad Hitler is. But uh, I have met JBL twice. And, I, I, my, uh, my whole thing is uh, just because one man treats me nice doesn't mean he's a good man. I, I understand that. I understand that I'm a straight white male. So obviously, if you treat me nice, you may also be a Nazi. So I, I am I am well aware of that. I am well aware of that. But uh, the little bit that I that I did see him interact with people of color uh, seemed to, to like them very much. I would just say, <laughs> so. in the same way, I give uh, Chinatown or Rosemary's Berry Bee a compliment, directed by Roman Polanski. In the same way, I'll say JBL is a good heel probably a bit extreme but there you uh, go what? no it's okay we, we, we can criticize roman Polanski all we want i mean that's <laughs> legal documents it's true it's much true. like there there's legal documents for hitler as well so <laughs> all right that takes us to judgment day and eddie takes just a gross chair shot to the head oh, does an oh. even grosser blade job accidentally clipping an artery in his head and holy fuck balls the blood it's like b-movie horror blood dude it's like Tom Savini got a bonus 
do what you have dreamed of doing that no other director would let you do. And Savini's <laughs> like, <laughs> yes, it's it's scary. It's scary blade job. And the craziest thing, he wrestles for like 10 more fucking minutes. Yes. I've marked out so much because it says like uh, he gets DQ'd because it's a storyline. He hates him so much because he gave his mom a heart attack. So he hits him with the belt because he doesn't give a fuck about winning. He just wants to hurt him. And then he attacks him and then the refs come out and then they pull him back. And then uh, Eddie hits him with the chair shot, a frog splash. And then uh, you think it's over again, but then Eddie chases him down again and tackles <laughs> JBL on the entranceway. And not till the locker room comes out and holds him back is the fight ended there it is just a beautiful example of how to really sell oh god these guys hate each other you know it creates doubt in a beautiful way and then the great american bash this is the big texas bull rope match and i thought it was pretty fun and clever the way they they did it with the nfl challenge at the end from kurt angle <laughs> yeah it, may, it makes you hate Kurt, and it, set, it sets up their little, uh, it comes back to their little mini feud. And the whole, the setup with the strap match, or the bull rope strap match, I, I didn't think it would work. And I was like, oh, this is going to be boring. But the drama, when like JBL or Eddie is reaching for that fourth turnbuckle, man, I was, I was wincing, and I was freaking out. It's, a, it's so much better than I remembered. I saw this for a How Did This Get Booked episode, and if I'm not mistaken, Earlier in the day, they didn't know what they were going to do for a finish. And I think Vince McMahon wasn't at this pay-per-view. Yeah, if, if I think this is the same. Yes, this is definitely the same Great American Bash. Vince McMahon wasn't at this pay-per-view for whatever reason. And they didn't know what they wanted to do for the finish of the bull rope match. And they kept calling Vince wherever he was at. And he's just like, don't bother me with this. Call Dusty Rhodes for a finish <laughs> on the bull rope match. So Bruce Pritchard called up Dusty Rhodes for the finish. <laughs> He goes, you got a bull rope match finish? And they're like, let me take this. I uh, did this math and it made so much fucking money. <laughs> so much fucking money. Dripping the fuck off of me once I did this finish. And I hit the fucking final tumbuckle and the fucking dollars fell out of the tumbuckle. There's so much fucking money. That's why this finish is so great and fun. It's because Dusty Rhodes gave it to fucking Bruce Richard and he just repeated it to the JBL and fucking Eddie Guerrero and they executed it perfectly. That's why it's great. Three quick things in my research you definitely need to watch. Uh, watch the Eddie JBL steel cage match, 7-13-2004. Get to see Eddie hit a frog splash off the top of the cage. And it is, I mean, it's not just, oh, he fell. He jumps. It is insane. Watch the 8-31-2004 SmackDown with Kurt Angle, two out of three falls. I think out of all their matches, this is their best match in regards to chemistry, work rate, comedy they're like fucking laurel and hardy at times it is it is a masterpiece i just i'd mark out more if i could and then one of my favorite eddie moments ever armageddon 2004 four-way match eddie jbl booker t and undertaker anything goes towards the end of the match undertaker gets eddie up in the last ride eddie smashes the undertaker in the head with the wwf belt he then hits two frog splashes on the undertaker and the near fall and the crowd reaction to after all that and the Undertaker kicks out of it is fucking ungodly. Eddie turns into the MVP of this match in the span of 90 seconds. I can't recommend the match and the Eddie love enough. Eddie would lose to Kurt at 04 SummerSlam. They keep going at each other all the way up the Survivor Series. Uh, Eddie's team would beat Kurt Angle's team. 
Following Survivor Series, Eddie would challenge for the title a few times, never getting it back before he wound up in a tag team, winning the titles with Rey Mysterio Jr. And those two would have what was supposed to be a friendly, may the better man win match at WrestleMania 21. And goddamn, throw this up there with some of the great opening matches ever of WrestleMania. Yeah, it, it is a hell of a match, and this is when they both have respect for each other. And then after the WrestleMania match, they would have a Judgment Day match where you knew it got amped up because Eddie, building up to it, said, Ray, I have your blood on my hands. At Judgment Day, I will have your life. So This is when the feud really starts to get amped up. They're both pissed at each other, but obviously, because this is a storyline that continues throughout the summer, that Ray gets another win on Eddie because Eddie just can't do it with Ray. He just can't get over that hurdle. And then a little bit of sidebar, but I cannot stress enough the 621-2005 SmackDown match between Eddie and Ray. The Halloween Havoc match is probably their best technical match, but I think even we'll get to the SummerSlam match, it's up there. Storytelling-wise, this SmackDown match might be up there as far as drama, just how much Ray is now hateful of Eddie, and they're both sadistic. This is a good example of how Eddie, he was lie, cheating, stealing, heel, anti-hero, but he would get love. But this shows how Eddie could be a true, repugnant, crowd-hating villain. He could be the most despicable asshole, and the crowd would truly despise him. It showed how good he was at turning that different switch where he knew how to do every angle of every different character. Please watch that SmackDown match. So damn good. And then we get to the Great American Bash in July, where the stipulation is Dominic must watch the match or Eddie will reveal Ray's secret. Ooh. And then obviously uh, Mysterio gets the win again because Eddie just can't do it. Eddie just can't do it. And there's one highlight where you know the crowd's getting into the match when Eddie walks over to Dominic at ringside and this drunk redneck lady just screams out, You stay away from Dominic! (laughs) Then we get to uh, where this feud really kind of takes off and lives on forever in the secret. The secret that Eddie has that he slowly reveals. I'm... Your puppy! <laughs> in, in Eddie's wilder days. <laughs> when I was throwing you know, it around. I, 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 basically, when I was throwing it around outside of, like, my, like me and Vicky were apart. Which is true. He, he had a child when he was separated from Vicky. This is all real life. And, like, I'm sure as far as the relationship and Vicky, like the fact that he found another woman and had a child with a different woman. And then she took him back after that just shows the actual love and and the, the coolness of Vicky Guerrero that she's like, yeah, sure. Go do a storyline similar to this on TV. That was probably the most embarrassing moment for me as a wife to you (laughs) go right ahead and do that. And I would say of, of Eddie's career, which this is going to be a big statement. The most passionate Eddie sucks chance came from this feud. Like I, like I said, he knew how to get true villain, not heel, but villain heat. He knew how to make them hate him. All his charisma didn't matter. All his likability didn't matter. He knew how to make you despise his fucking ass. Man, little Dominic fucking crushed this shit. Well, he, he really is. He's a good little kid actor, man. He really is. 
And uh, I would I would just like to point out that Rey Mysterio is the one who proposes the stipulation for the custody match. <laughs> so who's the shitty father? <laughs> yes, that match will take place at uh, SummerSlam. And I love the, the lead into this match, uh, M- Michael Cole. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, for the first time in the history of the WWE, the custody of a child will be determined in a match. It's just fucking absurd for him to say that with a straight ass face. <laughs> so but here's silly. the thing, though. There's, I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but there's actually an error in him making the announcement. Uh, he was supposed to say, for the first time ever, and most certainly not the last time. <laughs> <laughs> that was Vince was very insistent that he did it, and he forgot uh, it because he felt like he'd be in bad taste and too much foreshadowing. Just to let you know. No, tell him we're gonna have custody battles all the time <laughs> in ladder matches. We're gonna get him out on Raw. We're not gonna put him on pay per view. We're gonna have custody matches on Raw because I'm trying to court Coca Cola to be a sponsor. If Eddie would have won this match, do you think a court would have upheld the decision? <laughs> It gave him custody. And then they get it. It turns legal. It's like, no, isn't this scripted? <laughs> oh, dude, no, fuck. Don't do that. Nick, this is why you need to be in the writer's room. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, yeah. you got you to gotta do the vignette, and we're going to court battle. Like, clearly, I won this. And then, all of a sudden, the judge goes, oh, i got to take a poop. And Vince is like, ah, I love it. I love every minute of it. Put that on TV. Bruce, you're the producer on this one. Or make sure everything's done properly. Cut to William Regal eating a burrito. The Eddie Ray feud would come to an end September 9th on SmackDown in a steel cage match. It's so weird because Ray obviously wins custody of Dominic. They do that whole thing. And the whole storyline throughout this that Eddie couldn't get a win over Ray. And then, yeah, on the the episode of SmackDown in a steel cage, it's the old uh, leave the cage for the win or get the pin. And Eddie has a clear route to just walk out of the cage. But then he turns around, climbs to the top rope, blam! Hits a frog splash and defeats Ray clean as shit. And the crowd pops and it's just one of those things like, oh, they just they just gave Eddie his what he wanted. It, it's pretty cool. Then Eddie would have what would end up being his last feud here. And I, it's very short, uh, his feud with Batista. This is a really good example of what Eddie was because it's Eddie trying to be nice to Batista and everyone's like, what's this fucker up to? <laughs> like, it's like, uh, it's like very Ric Flairish. how Jake uh, brought this up about how Flair would be like, yes, I'll be your tag partner. Comes out, hits the ropes, turns on you immediately. Like, that's what you're expecting Eddie to do here. You nailed it, man. Like, it shows even just like, I mean, this is his last big feud, sadly, but it shows another dimension of the shit he can do. And it's like this, the whole no mercy match. Eddie and Batista are kind of buds, and then Eddie, like as a, as a character, is he's still pulled to the dark side, but he's really trying to be Luke Skywalker. But he keeps like he keeps finding himself like, oh nope, I'm not gonna do that illegal tactic. It's like, oh nope, I'm not gonna use the chair. I'm gonna be good. And then the the Batista and Eddie moments they have where it's like, nope, you can be good. Yeah, I'm gonna be good. I'm not gonna do you like that. All right, cool man, let's wrestle for real. Just the psychology in this match is so much fun. Fuck, I've said this too many times, but it just shows all the different dimensions to Eddie and how he can storytell and wrestle in so many ways. And this is another one that, like, who knows what the fuck else he could have done? Yeah. Who knows all the other storylines he could have done and the ways he could have portrayed his character and, and the just the layers he could have opened up, man. He was a fucking onion, and it's a cliche analogy, but Eddie was an onion, man. He he, There was so much to him. And we get to Eddie's last match, November 11th, 
05 on SmackDown. And the fact that he ended it with the fake chair spot like he did. <laughs> the smoke and gun. It, it's yep. like Jordan hitting that shot against the Jazz and retiring. Like, it's that perfect pitcher, hold your fucking wrist up for the follow through. I mean, he didn't know this was going to be his last match, but yeah. it's it's so fucking poetic and good. It's so true because it's like in all this, how many times you look up Eddie on YouTube and you see all his smoking gun moments where he throws the chair, the belt to the dude and then fakes it out and pretends he's hurt. And those are so good. And we, we try to point out the things that aren't typical, but it is it is freaky how his last match is just kind of the epitome of Eddie's career and how good he was at the storytelling, the acting and just oh God. It's 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 a, a very, like Nick said, it's poetic, it's apropos, it's beautiful. Then comes one of the most painful losses in pro wrestling history. On uh, November 13th, 2005, after making several attempts to reach Eddie in his Minneapolis hotel room, Chavo found his uncle's unconscious body. Paramedics came, Eddie was pronounced dead. An autopsy revealed that Guerrero died of heart failure and the legendary Eddie Guerrero was just 38 years old. We had some intern students in our, in our school that George affectionately named the Guerreros and like they, you know, they love that nickname cause they looked up to Eddie and like they took it real hard and like we all like it was it was weird because it's like you know we were all like really young 20 year olds that had a dream of professional wrestling and here we were a few months earlier making like i'm your poppy jokes and this is like just mere weeks after we met and you know like and all we talked about was eddie 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 and then here like it was just weird that you know like as much as we talked about eddie that all of a sudden now he, he passed and their nickname was the guerreros and the george and like it all really kind of hit us really hard and it's it's one of those things we just you know we were real somber and you know we had the ability to go into the high spots library and pull some like dean and eddie matches and watch the vhs tapes and kind of mourn that way but then also too i remember we were coming into like one of the biggest weekends for us as like interns we had like the tribute to starcade in spartanburg south carolina we also had a show in statesville north carolina i believe the day before where we had harley race come in that's the one where i was telling you where harley was in my corner oh not in my corner in the opposite corner i had my manager and harley was in like in my match and critiqued me from the harley race episode and there was like this broad kind of already like done their tribute to to eddie and we were a few weeks, a few days after like that. And there's kind of this question, like, do we give a 10 bell salute or a moment to silence Eddie Guerrero? And we weren't really sure what to do. Cause like he wrestled for CWA wrestling in, in Charlotte, North Carolina and Rod Conner had done those thing, you know, we didn't know what to do. And one of the things that Harley race requested from us when we got to the building, it wasn't like, Hey, I, I need this or can you guys get it? like the one request that harley race had for that particular evening where we brought him in he goes i really want you guys to do a moment of silence a tribute to eddie guerrero at the beginning of the show to just recognize the loss that we've experienced in professional wrestling and for someone like harley race who is held with such high respect for say hey you know the one thing that i want done in the show is that we show respect to to someone like Eddie Guerrero, like I, I, I don't, I don't know if Harley would have done that for just anybody, but he definitely did it for yeah. Eddie, and that should be 
you know, for someone who is respected and considered, in my mind, a Mount Rushmore cornerstone performer, to recognizing Eddie Guerrero, and he should be given all the tribute possible because he's that important and should be remembered as much as possible. And we need to take time because the entire business of professional wrestling, the sport, the art form, whatever you want to call it, has suffered a tremendous loss. And we must always recognize that and mourn that whenever we can. Monday Night Raw held a very emotional, very hard to get through tribute show November 14th, 2005. It started with the entire roster out. They gave him a 10 bell salute and it's, it's fucking hard, man. The two moments that stood out to me the most, big show, yeah. the biggest, scariest motherfucker, not just in that ring, but one of like in the world, he, he's just bawling. You can they're just tears are streaming down him. And this is at the beginning they're all together. And then he has a match later. Or I think it's the first match or the second match. And when the big show comes out for his match, he is still fucked up. Yeah. You can see him still wrecked, emotional. That's what got to me. Like, he had time to compose himself, but Eddie's death meant so much and hurt him so bad that he just he couldn't recuperate, man. It just like in the back, he was still destroyed. And obviously, with all the other shit in the world or history, but the just Pegasus tribute where you think he has it all together and he tells the story of him and Eddie. And it eventually turns into just sobbing like a fucking child. Yeah, man, he cries so fucking hard. Oh it's... God, it it's just knowing everything now. It just it, there's so it's so fucked up because you feel for him and you're sad, but you know what would become, and it's just ah, this episode is don't watch it. Also, too, you gotta remember, you know, we we discussed it, and the rumor was that. That upcoming WrestleMania was going to be Shawn Michaels and Eddie Guerrero. And, and I think about it over and over again. It's like, as I said about like the respect promo, if it was the environment around that performance was correct, how nobody would ever duplicate it. If that match happened on a oh fucking WrestleMania, Ugh, I don't know what, I don't know what would be the point of having <laughs> wrestling ever again. <laughs> yeah. I get, fucking call it a day. It's over. Ugh. Nobody's ever going to get better than that. I mean, it, it would have been the greatest match of all time. Like, no exaggeration, no hyperbole. It would have been the greatest match of all time. The attitudes of both individuals about WrestleMania, about stealing the show, right. about their where the, the places they are at the career, and also how the crowd feels about them and the perception, their placement, and also the idea, pick them. Does it matter yeah. who fucking wins? <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't make a fucking difference. It doesn't make a fucking difference. As much as we we talk about that Undertaker Shawn Michaels thing, fuck. If that Eddie Shawn thing would have happened, like that Undertaker Shawn thing would have would have been like, oh, that was good, but it's second best to this Eddie Shawn forever, and so is everything else in this planet and universe forever. It's true. In 06, Eddie was beyond deservingly put in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's a big honor for a wrestler to be put in the Hall of Fame. Eddie getting put in the Hall of Fame elevates the entire Hall of Fame. Like, he's one of those yeah. guys. He, like, he's one of those you put in and you're like, oh, this means something now. Yep. And it was the same year as Bret Hart and Eddie was second. I mean, I'm not going to start. <laughs> but, uh, 
the one moment that like killed me if you want to just get your guts ripped out that you don't expect there is probably a three-fourths of a second shot of william regal in the crowd when they're talking about eddie and the fucking waterfall of tears that are pouring down regal's face says fucking everything about what eddie meant to the back and to just friendship and being on the road and just everything just seeing a man like regal who you know you fucking know regal seeing him reduced to what he is in that moment your heart is ripped out of your chest all right uh we've done it four episodes probably six hours of talking about this guy (laughs) final thoughts on the great eddie guerrero so as i as i've jokingly said before i got a chance to sit down and talk with d malenko and it, it came up and we were talking about eddie and and dean just said oh best person i've ever been in the ring with before and i go really like anytime people ask you your favorite wrestler he goes yeah eddie right away no question no, no hesitation and i just i wanted to zero in on why somebody as incredible as dean malenko just blindly right away without questioning it just like the best person i've ever been in the ring with is eddie guerrero i go what made him so fucking great to you and he goes it wasn't so much the timing the things that that every guy wants to critique this guy's match this guy's spots the things the things he did in the match you know dean pointed out it's the fact that he could swing to the best possible heel and the most loved baby face of all time is the fact that he could go so sharply one way or the other was the thing that made him incredible, is that he could be the guy that you hate or the guy that you love. And you think about guys that sharply swing as wide, there's not a lot of people that can do that. There's people that are pretty good heels and they're not as good at being the good guy. And there's guys that are great at being the good guys and they had a had a bad guy run that was okay. But guys that could just go a different direction and adds a layer to who they are that that's very few and far between and you know that speaks volumes there's not a single person that's wrestled eddie that didn't have a nice thing to say about him and they they always talk about him being very passionate and very hot-headed which is probably why i make all as many comparisons to me as eddie guerrero as possible because i'm kind of a hothead as well and the the joke is always when I talk about like the the high spots four and the New Japan four, which the New Japan four, as you know, is Chris Jericho, Pegasus Kid, Dean Malenko, and Eddie Guerrero. Now there was a time when like the, the jokingly the high spots four was me, Caleb Connolly, Charlie Dreamer, and Mike Lee, Black Shoes from Five Dollar Wrestling Fame. And, you know, we always said that Mike Lee, he's the Dean Malenko because he's the quiet one. You got to watch out for him. And he's always got the best lines, too. And Charlie Dreamer, of course, is Chris Jericho. Long blonde hair, kind of a rocker dude. Who else could he, who else could he be? And, of course, Caleb Connolly, you know, those deep blue eyes. We know how that, that's going to end for <laughs> Caleb Connolly. Um, but then I would always jokingly say in my very gallows humor and this maybe off color at the end of a very emotional episode but this is what i would always say to deflect i was eddie of the group because i'd be the first to go (laughs) that's the that's the dark joke of it all (laughs) but at the same time too it's because i wanted to be eddie (laughs) (laughs) at the end of the day because and and the more that i've read about him the more that i've learned about him the more that i've experienced what i've experienced and as i said before in in the in the past episode the episode part three 
is that in my darkest times, I was like in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of me possibly losing the thing that I love the most, the thing that defines me. The thought that comes in my head is like, what would Eddie Guerrero do? Well, he would find some young kid, grab him by the back of the neck and like, let's get in the ring and wrestle. The idea of when I'm battling with my issues with substances, I think, what would Eddie Guerrero do? How would he manage this? What would, what would be the thing to get, you know, get myself back on track while I go wrestle or I'd focus on the things I can focus on? And I, I made that joke in an Instagram text about the, the High Spots 4 and the New Japan 4. And somebody said, like, no, I thought you'd be the Eddie because of your personality and your passion for wrestling. And, and hopefully everybody that's listened to the several episodes of Ten Bell Pod, like you see how much I love professional wrestling, how much I care for it, respect it. It's it's a religion to me, and I and I care for it the best I possibly can. And and I feel that Eddie Guerrero did the same time and time again, night in night out. Respected the people that spent money to go see him, give them everything they had, no matter if it was forty people, four thousand, ten thousand. It made no difference. He made sure that he gave everybody he possibly could and gave the guy who was wrestling everything he possibly could and something that George always taught me is that if you have a favorite wrestler you should wrestle the way that would impress your favorite wrestler like don't you want your favorite wrestler to see your match and be impressed with you so do those things that would impress your favorite wrestler when you think about what type of wrestler you want to be and Eddie's one of my favorites, and I just wish that Eddie could see the passion that I have and the ability to work in a character into my matches, but yet at the same time, too, the the highly technical things that I do. When it comes time to hit that big move at the end that I give it everything I got, before I tell this nice, weird story and, and have do this character thing that like the crowd likes and just give every the crowd everything give them the character give them the spots give them all of the intensity that i have give everything i got of my heart and my soul that's how i love and present professional wrestling because it's how eddie guerrero presented professional wrestling to the world and that was always my hope is that i was doing that so as we've discussed eddie guerrero over these these four episodes Hopefully, it, it, it's clear to you how much he's influenced me as a wrestler, as a man, as a man who has this burning desire and love for professional wrestling, this thing that sometimes can be like an abusive relationship, is you still find the pieces of it that you love and you hang on to those so deeply and they become the thing that holds you together and holds your love together, and you express that love every single night you're in front of those people. That's what made Eddie Guerrero special and never forgotten about because that spirit lives on and all the people that saw that, experienced that, and want to be a good steward to the sport much like he was. If I had to explain Eddie Guerrero to someone that just missed them. Maybe you, you started watching wrestling in 2010. And if I could sum him up, there is a moment in just about every single Eddie Guerrero match where I have five seconds of wondering to myself, is this the greatest match I've ever seen in my life? Like, is this the greatest spot, the greatest move? Like, it didn't matter if he was in a school gym, the first match on a Nitro, WrestleMania. Eddie was just the fucking best. 
I've been up to my neck in Eddie Guerrero stuff for like three months now. Uh, his book, his matches, his shoot, editing these episodes. And I could, honest to God, I could keep going. We miss so much. Like I could do a podcast that's just about Eddie Guerrero forever. He was just such a special, amazing wrestler. His charisma was so bright that if you stared at it too long, you'd fucking go blind. Like the tension he could create just off off of a ref bump. And he'd do that little that that little shit eating smirk. He didn't even have to do anything. And like the crowd would just erupt. Like that's so special and unique. And we've talked about a lot of guys on this podcast that could literally they could do it fucking all. But Eddie not only could do it all, he was the fucking best at it all. Comedy, in ring, great on the mic, especially later in his career. He could fly, he could brawl, he could go hardcore, he could have an old school match that would give Cornette a fucking boner. There's nothing he couldn't do. And, and one of the craziest things about his in ring ability. Eddie's five foot eight. I think he may have the greatest power bomb in pro wrestling history. It's fucking perfect. And he overcame being undersized. He overcame addiction. He overcame fucking WCW. It, it's just so unfair that he was taken from us. It so much could have been different. I mean, you want to throw Pegasus into that, but just talk about the very fabric of what professional wrestling is. How much better could it have been with Eddie Guerrero here? Another thing, maybe on the more cynical side, it makes me so happy knowing that all the little shitheads in the business, all the roided up fucks in WCW, all his doubters, all the clowns that want to bring up his battles with addiction, they all have to sit back while any wrestling fan with half a fucking brain in their head just cherishes Eddie as possibly the GOAT. And Eddie earned that vindication, and literally no one or nothing can take that from him. I think right off the bat, I just want to... We do all this research, like Nick said, and there's so much stuff that we miss, but I feel like I need to get out there. Um, Look up the story that Matt Hardy tells about working Eddie at house shows. He talks about how Eddie was the best wrestler on the entire planet he ever worked with, who could listen to the crowd, know what they wanted, adjust on the fly and just make it happen. It, and, you know, the way a jazz artist listens to shit and rolls with shit, the way with any good artist can just feel the mood and adjust. The, this, Matt, Matt's a great storyteller. I got to put him over too. But just the story he tells about Eddie is just like, goddamn, it's another dimension to his goatness. It's a stupid term, and I'm sorry I said it. Also, uh, there's a little mini doc on YouTube where Sandman finds out that Eddie died while he's on a tour in England. And just to see, you know, Sandman, who you pictured 24-7, drunk off his fucking ass, fucked up, how much it affects him. You see Sandman crying in the middle of the ring right after he finds out, also right before he offers a small child a beer. But it's one of those little, like, cinema verite, fly-on-the-wall docs that I never knew existed until I did research for our episode, and it just fucking punched me right in the stomach. Short little uh, Paul London shoot where he talks about when he came into WWE, fresh off a of Ring of Honor, and, you know, you're the small, you're the lightweight, cruiserweight, and like Jake has talked about numerous times, if you're not so-and-so pounds, so-and-so height, they don't give a fuck about you. And Paul talks about how Eddie made him feel a part of the locker room like no one did. 
and how Eddie made him believe in himself and really fucking try. It's just, it's to hear those three dudes talk about Eddie in their own different way and how it affect him is some good fucking shoot material. Please look it up. Uh, one match that I didn't get to slide in through all our stuff. Eddie Jericho versus Benoit and Malenko at a Brian Hildebrand tribute show. You might know Brian more as referee Mark Curtis. He worked in WCW. He worked in uh, Smoky Mountain. This was 98 territory. So it's those four doing a match, working like they do, with Eddie and Jericho working as the heels. And it's 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 just a, I mean, you know, we all can't put over enough how great those dudes are. And it's them in their prime. So, oh, God, we'll get this into. Please watch the uh, the the Eddie Guerrero cramp sketch. It's like an 80s teen comedy. It's so wrong and couldn't be done now, but it's with him and Batista. Eddie, is, I just, I, you know, you guys know, you listen to me. I fucking love movies more than anything. And Eddie, Eddie could have had a fucking career as an actor. He could have been in fucking movies. He was that good. Motherfucker was hilarious. And then my final little uh, plug on just Eddie things is one of his best little heel tactics is he would, uh, it'd be a tag match and there'd be the little ropes to hold on to to get the tag. Well, Eddie would get the other one, get both of the tag ropes and tie them together so that he could stretch all the way to the middle of the ring. It was one of those things watching matches where I'm like, this is why he's an improv genius. This is why he, who he is. All right, I'm done with small little point outs. Throughout the research of this, the thing that really fucked me up the most is Eddie died at the age of 38, and I just turned 39. I I hate making shit about me sometimes, but I feel like I need to bring this one up because this one hit me so fucking hard. I don't even know exactly how to voice what that means to me, but it's just, it's kind of like a wake up of just like, fucking make something happen. The documentary on Eddie's DVD set slam that home to me a bunch because it's just you see this what is so fucking tough about eddie's story is that the motherfucker came back from everything all the addiction all the fucked up shit losing his house losing his wife losing all that shit and he redeemed himself i have a hard time sometimes just oh i gotta go fill out this paperwork or i have to go get my license renewed soon and that's a fucking problem for me. And that's what worries me. And this motherfucker's life collapsed. So many eyes on him. So many people knew what he could be. And they knew how he failed. And he fucking redeemed himself. Even more so than we could have imagined. Came back. Fucking Brock match. Fucking Kurt match. All this everything. Becoming one of the biggest fucking stars. At one point, the, the man in WWE. The pinnacle of the fucking career that he chose and then no matter how good he was at finding himself no matter how good he was at finding himself and redeeming all his relationships and making things right he'd fucked his body up to the point where it just couldn't go on redemption was sullied because he just his heart gave out he didn't do anything wrong he didn't relapse he didn't fuck up again it's just that his past problems and his past mistakes were so grandiose that he couldn't overcome them in the long run and that's what's so fucking brutal he succeeded but then life still said you know what it's just it's not meant to be man and i think that's what's so fucked up because 
Eddie showed what a comeback story looks like 100%, and then it was all ripped away. That's what hurt so bad about Eddie's story. He did everything right. One thing that I will always identify with Eddie the most is how they would talk about when he was on top, when he was champion. Ever since then, every little mistake in a match, maybe if the house wasn't good, how he would put all the blame, everything, on his own heart. He would fuck up a small, minute way in a match in a spot that only he and his opponent knew about, but it was slightly off, so Eddie would beat himself up and feel horrible for hours. I fucking feel that so fucking hard and sickening. Eddie's love for his art form, I feel 5,000%. I think when you care about someone, an artist, a character, somebody like Eddie, you have all these fucking weird thoughts and you're just trying to dissect their life, what went wrong, what they could have done different, what you can do different in your life. And it's just, I had the thought, and it's just, it's so fucking dark, but in in the moment, it, it, it felt so true. It was like, I'm glad Eddie never had to know what Benoit did. As close as they were, the fucked up silver lining and everything that he didn't know how his best friend turned. He was my favorite fucking wrestler of all time. That's why I'm so fucking tied to these two and what they meant to each other. But Eddie was a huge part of my childhood. More specifically, my teenage years, which feels more like my childhood. When you're talking about who you are, defining what you like, your preferences... What you, how you view art. I always feel and sound like a pretentious dick sometimes, but looking back, Eddie really made me understand and see how pro wrestling could be art. I mean, Eddie, Eddie will always be me and my best friend Mitch at lunch in high school talking about trading tapes and talking about Nitro and joking about, like, oh, yeah, actually, Eddie Guerrero is my favorite wrestler. <laughs> Not really. But there was the understanding is like, we're, he, he's fucking amazing, but we hate him because he's so good at his fucking job and he's committed to what he is. And me recording, burning the Malenko Guerrero classic for Mitch and giving it to him and just appreciating how fucking good he was at his job and how much he cared about his job. That's the other part. People can be good at shit, but do they really give a fuck and want to improve it? It just, I don't know. Eddie's not one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Eddie's just one of my favorite artists of all time. His entire story, how good he was at his job, how much he cared, the memories he gave me, which fucking at the end of the day, I'm done with a lot of aspects of things. But if you just give me a memory, give me something that I will cherish. And Eddie did that fucking tenfold, hundredfold, thousandfold, blah, 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 blah. I just, he will be one of my favorite people. Till the end of my fucking days. And it's so sad that he went out when he did. I'm glad Eddie was who he was. And the fucked up mistakes he made in his life. Created the person. And the fucking amazing artist that he became. Eddie is a clear goat. And one of my favorite people. Of all fucking time. And I love you man. You want to talk about addiction missing? You want to go down that road, Vato Loco? You know what, Holmes? We're going down that road. Well, let's do what we say in Spanish. Vamos a decirlo en Chile. Let's tell it straight up, man. 
truth is, Brock, I am an addict. See, Brock, about three years ago, Holmes, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, Vato, your home state, that's right, Vato, in the shower, in the locker room, oh man, I was high, bro. I was high, high, high. And I don't remember much about that night, I said, but what I do remember, the, they carried me out of that arena and they carried me straight into rehab. Let's see, they didn't do that, I did that to myself, Bato. But that was just the beginning of it, I said. Because see, through all that time, bro, through all those three years, not only did I wind up losing my jaw, I lost my wife, I lost my kids, and I lost myself. I lost my spirit. I disgraced my race. I disgraced my family and I disgraced myself. But you know what, Brock? I came to a point in my life, Mr. Vato. I came to a point where it was do or die, Holmes. I had to make a decision. Do or die. And you know what I said? I did. Because I'm here right now. Day by day, by the grace of God, I have earned my way back into this ring, man. Day by day, by the grace of God, I have earned the respect of my kids again. Day by day, I have earned my life back. And see, Holmes, when I stand across you and I see that across your waist, you know what that symbolizes for me, I say? That symbolizes for me, I'm sorry. That's my way of telling my family I'm sorry. That's my way of telling my kids I'm gonna provide a better way of life for them. I'm gonna get the bikes that they wanted. I'm gonna give them a better education. That's my new addiction, home. See, when I step into this ring, yeah, bro, I am addicted. I'm addicted to the high that I get from them. I'm addicted to the high that I get when I go home and I tell my family, hey, I'm doing it. I'm addicted to the satisfaction that I get to tell everybody like you that didn't believe in me, you can stick it up your ass. I'm addicted to the do or die feeling, Holmes, that I'm gonna have this Sunday night at No Way Out. Because you know as well as I do, Holmes, oh, what a high. 